0: Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown,
1: Robert Puckett,
0: Molly Keck, and Janet Hurley. Welcome back to Unwanted Guests. So I'm going to start off with a I guess piece of bad news maybe for some of you, but this is going to be our last episode of unwanted Guest. We have decided to stop doing two podcasts due to scheduling constraints and availability of people and that sort of thing. So we are going to continue the other podcast that is sponsored by Texas A&M Entomology. And that one is called Bugs by the Yard. So if there are certain topics that you were hoping to hear about here on Unwanted Guests, then you can contact us over at Bugs by the Yard, and we will be happy to incorporate them over there. So with that out of the way, we are going to be talking today about not an insect. We're going to be talking about a bird, and the one we're talking about today is actually House sparrows, and this is one I always remember. The genus species. I took an ornithology class when I was at Ohio State, and for some reason, this one stuck in my brain. It's passer domesticus, and I like these birds a lot. Especially, I mean, not here so much in Texas, but when I lived in Ohio in the winter time, they just like get all feet, and they just look angry when they're sitting there in the winter time, and it's all chilly and They're just so stinking cute. And I just think that they're adorable in Ohio.
2: Would they migrate anywhere warmer in Texas? I guess all birds pretty much stay put, right? Yeah,
0: no, they, they just pretty much stay there. I think with house sparrows, what I was reading on them is they are, well, I think they're pretty much everywhere at this point. They are native to Eurasia and North Africa. They were released in New York in 1851 to control insects. They released like, I think, a hundred birds. And then they, well, obviously took over. There's way more than a hundred birds now. <laughs> so they have spread across North America. But yeah, I think that they stay where they are.
2: You said they released them in 1851?
0: 1851. To control, so was, I think it was like a caterpillar on trees or something that they decided, which, you know, they did an excellent job at controlling the caterpillars. But then, you know. So they were
2: really rails. efficient at controlling insects. It wasn't just a try it and see what happens thing. They There was some.
0: In 1851. It just <laughs> 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 exactly what, what I'm thinking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found um, a little article from AM showing as, as far as Texas goes, initially released in Galveston in 1872. But then there were like 20 different subsequent introductions, and most of them were like a pair.
2: Okay.
1: And so now they're found, I guess they were continually reintroduced,
2: so it didn't just start with a hundred. They were there. A hundred were the first that were released and then other parts of the United States introduced more of them and they've all just kind of.
1: Joined forces. Interbred. Yeah.
0: Now <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. So these, these do look different. So most birds are sexually dimorphic, right? So the males and the females are going to look different. I personally like the males more than I like the females because they they're the ones that get the angry look that I like so much (laughs) but they have a it it looks like a gray toupee on the top of their head it's like this little spot on their head that's gray and then their cheeks are white if you can say that birds have cheeks Mm -hmm. so I guess behind their beak Um, they have the black kind of throat and then they have kind of a rusty or reddish brown kind of collar that goes from that black and around the back of the neck. And then the underside is going to be kind of a, I don't know, dirty whitish gray color. And then the back of it is going to be mostly brown. And then it has kind of uh, black markings or striping kind of stuff on it. Whereas the females are more of a buff brown color, so kind of like a lighter brown, they have a gray underside and then their backs are going to be striped with black, brown and buff. So they are not as colorful as the males are. House sparrows are pretty much everywhere in Texas. And they are extremely adaptable in the areas that they move into. They can build nests kind of in or around our homes. And they're going to, it could be, you know, eaves of houses. It could be by light fixtures. It could be in, like, if you have a, I don't know, a hole or a space in a soffit area, it could be there. Vents, obviously trees. They also can get into nest boxes. I know around my area, everybody likes their purple martin houses, and mm-hmm. house sparrows can actually move into those and kick out the purple martins. So that can be problematic. And these are going to be grain feeders. They typically will kind of scavenge for stuff that's on the ground. So if you think about bird seed, they're going to be going for the smaller kind of millet or the the little round seed things that typically, I guess, and I don't use that feed anymore because that would always get tossed on the ground because nobody wanted it. And so I just stopped doing it, but that's actually what they would scavenge. So if you don't want to encourage them at your bird feeders, then it may be a good idea to change up the seed to a larger kernel of seed that might be more palatable to other Types of songbirds that you might want. But they are not only going to feed on grain or seed. They can also obviously adapt. And you can see them around garbage cans or dumpsters. You can see them at restaurants kind of fluttering around, kind of picking up scraps and things like that, kind of taking advantage of whatever they can as a food resource. Maybe like the cockroaches of the bird world. <laughs> damage, they're going to be obviously a nuisance. They can be a nuisance uh, depending on where they go to the restrooms. So that can cause issues if they're nesting by a door, by a light fixture, or something where that's accumulating. That can lead to unsanitary conditions. It can lead to smelly conditions. There's also evidence that their droppings can damage. The paint on vehicles. Oh. So that could be problematic if you're parking underneath where they are.
1: I was just looking at that. So bird, bird poop is apparently high in uric acid. Mm-hmm. So it's very corrosive on the, on the vehicle.
2: Yeah. Cause it's urine and poop at the same time.
0: Yeah. They have a, what a, clo- is it a cloaca? Is that what it's called?
2: I believe so. I don't know. Someone who's listening to this podcast is who's a real serious birder is like, yeah, this is brutal, guys.
0: Yeah, you're killing me. <laughs> We're trying our best. <laughs> I'm going to direct this question to somebody else to talk about. If one of you could talk about the arthropods that can be found on birds, and then the other one, if you could talk about the possible disease organisms that these birds can be reservoirs for.
2: Okay. I was actually looking at some pictures of sparrows because I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure that I've ever actually seen one. I think what we get outside of our office is a type of sparrow, but not a house sparrow, but a lot of people will get birds, nesting around their house. And so, you know, specifically we're talking about the house sparrow and one of the concerns with them beyond that their poop will mess up your cars and damage vegetation and other stuff like that is that they can carry a lot of pests with them. And so if you're wondering why on earth we're talking about birds on an entomology subject podcast, that's really why I'd say the biggest concern if, if for me, at least, if I had birds nesting close to the house, is that they would be carrying bird mites and bird mites, while they don't sustain themselves off of humans, um, they will, if they land on you, they'll bite you. And it's not a super pleasant condition or a, a sensation, I guess. Um, and so like, for instance, we, I knew of a family who had called into the office and they had an issue with what I'm going to assume just to make this story match our podcast, um, how sparrows and they were nesting kind of um, right outside their front door. So every time they opened and closed the door, they jarred the nest and then the mites would get dislodged and kind of fall down. And it took them a really long time to figure out what was going on. I want to say that the nest was like up in a light above, um, right by the front door. So it wasn't initially noticeable and obvious, but every time they walked in and out after, you know, a couple minutes, they would get just itching and this sensation and these bites all over their body. And they couldn't figure out what it was until they found, that they had the birds and the mites were coming off of them. And that can be really irritating to people, not only because it itches, but just because it's frustrating to try to figure out where the birds are nesting and, and how to get the mites out of there. But some of the other things that sparrows can bring along are apparently chiggers, which surprised me. But I guess if you talk about how they how they like to land on the ground to get after small food, then that might be how they're getting in t- contact with chiggers and then they're falling off of them when they fly away. Um, but they also can have fleas and foul ticks. And one of our agrilife publications said bed bugs, but I'm assuming what they really mean are bird bugs. Wouldn't y'all think?
1: I was also thinking that. Yeah.
2: Which bird bugs are to the naked eye. They look identical to bed bugs and, and bird bugs will feed on people, but they don't live in your home.
1: Yeah, there's like three different, there's like the bird bug, bat bug, and bed bug, right?
0: Bird bug, bat bug, and bed bug.
1: I'm thinking of the swallow bug.
0: I mean, they all pretty much look the same. I don't know, like hairs, hairs or something yeah. on their head that you have to look at, yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous. And and actually people
2: can get them like in their house too. The bed bugs, bird bugs, or bat bugs, they, they can all like be on your bed or in your couch or wherever it is that you're sleeping. So I guess people can, can have an issue with what they assume to be bed bugs might be bird bugs and may not realize that they are coming off of house sparrows that are nesting, you know, right outside a window or something at their house. I guess, you know, if they carry fowl ticks um, and other bird mites, you know, if you have a pet parrot in the house or a pet bird, then those can get those bird mites. But also if you, everyone's got backyard chicken. So if they've got Foul ticks and they can drop those off on your chickens or vice versa. They come to the chicken food and they get it from your chickens. And those foul ticks are big. So on a little sparrow, like they must really be noticeable.
1: Well, I wonder too how many, like what's the load that one individual bird can probably carry? Cause I mean, I've seen some tick infestations where it's like it, it's crazy. You don't see any skin, it's just covered in ticks. So I'm I'm sure that they can probably die from that too, right? I would think. There, in like a heavily infested area.
0: Yeah, I remember. Um, this is a sideline, but tip my tick story. When I was little, we had this little dog that my mom found and brought home. It was like this little white. I don't even know what, and it had so many ticks on it that when one of our other dogs grabbed it by the neck and shook it, it ripped the skin, and the dog did not bleed. There um, were so many ticks on it. It was crazy. But yeah, we took it to the vet, sewed it back up, got everything fixed and it was fine, but it was the grossest thing ever.
1: So building off of what Molly was mentioning and how these sparrows have close associations with different arthropods and also humans found near our dwellings, uh, they then are also competent hosts for different pathogens uh, that can cause disease in in humans or our pets a couple of those are i might botch these names chlamidiosis seminosis newcastle disease toxoplasmosis and gastroenteritis which is interesting i also saw another article that they are reservoir hosts for
2: equine encephalitis
1: western equine encephalitis though?
0: I thought you said eastern equine. I thought you said eastern earlier.
1: Because of the close association uh, with the nestlings and the house sparrows, Texas high plains have been identified as important reservoir hosts for the viruses that can cause western and St. Louis uh, encephalitis. Oh. The way that that transmission works, basically the, the virus is able to replicate in the bird and reach high enough viral loads that a mosquito can then feed on that bird and transmit said disease to to humans. Um, In order for all of that to happen, of course, it has to be the perfect scenario where you've got a a bird with the pathogen, uh, a mosquito that's fed on that bird, and then the mosquito has to feed on the human uh, in in that given area. So a lot of things have to work out (laughs) for the transmission to occur. But Uh, they are able to vector.
0: But it's a pretty serious
2: disease in horses.
1: That's right. Aren't there like laws as far as county, like Mm -hmm. moving horses across counties and.
2: Something like that. And I'm not sure about equine encephalitis, but like West Nile, which is real bad in horses, there's a vaccine for it. So I'm not sure if there's one for that, for those encephalites in horses, but. One of the things these sparrows will do is nest in barns and stuff. And so if you've got stalls or other, you, you kind of have the reservoir holding that disease there. And then you have um, a dead end host essentially is what horses are where they, it may not pass from the horse to somebody else, but it can be very detrimental to the horse. So the overlapping of all the bad things is kind of a concern. If you live in an area where Eastern equine is prevalent and you also have horses,
1: I can't find too much information on West Nile virus. I think there are just way more competent vectors for West Nile. Like they are capable, but um, like other reservoirs. Are... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As the amplifying reservoir. Have you all heard of Usutu virus? It's another arbovirus.
2: No, um, no. I'm looking
1: at a paper right now that's saying that house sparrows are, are a competent vector for, sorry, hosts for, I've got to get that right. I shouldn't be (laughs) making that mistake. (laughs) Amplifying hosts for the Usutu virus.
2: I would imagine just how common um, house sparrows are in kind of cosmopolitan, in urban, rural, like wherever there's a place to nest, they're going to nest in it. Wherever there's a structure, they'll find a place to nest. I would imagine that they're probably a pretty decent host or reservoir for a lot of those diseases that utilize birds as the main reservoir. Yeah. Did you explain what a reservoir was though?
1: I don't think I did. We're throwing out a lot of different vocabulary right now. So there are uh in the transmission world, uh we'll start with just the pathogen itself. The thing that is picking up the pathogen and transferring it to something would be called the vector, the host. There can be different types of hosts whether it's uh I think Wizzy mentioned a dead-end host a minute ago. I mentioned the term, uh, amplifying host or the reservoir host. Uh, so that's just anything that can become, I, I don't want to say inoculated, but what is the word? I guess I I should pick a disease and, and we should talk about, I'm going to back up. So in the case of what, uh, West Nile virus, for example, right, you have the mosquito, which is going to be your vector. There are different types of hosts. So West Nile is not going anywhere. It's always in the bird population. Um, They are amplifying hosts. So the virus is able to uh, reach a high enough uh, load in the bird system that it's then able to be picked up by a mosquito and transmitted onto the next host. And the same thing goes for humans. In the case of, let's say, a horse in the West Nile virus transmission circle, That's what's called a dead end host where they can become infected, but the viral load does not reach a high enough amount uh, that it can then be picked up by the vector uh, and and transferred on.
0: So if you are concerned about house sparrows, which you may be fine with them, if you're not bothered by them, then let them do their thing. But if they are in an area where you don't want them, like, your front door light fixture or um, a barn by your horses or I don't know a fireplace or something like that you know what can you do to get rid of them and this is where first there are affected birds in the state of Texas and in the United States that you cannot do things to the birds because they are protected so house sparrows are not a protected species in Texas which means that they can be taken at any time you can destroy their nests and eggs as well where would you go to find out if if you're not
2: sure that this is what you have house sparrows you got some other bird maybe where where can people go to find out what is a protected bird and what isn't
0: um Texas Parks and Wildlife okay. or you could probably go that's that's where I typically go to look
2: and there's usually urban biologists in there in those offices, yeah. so you can, you know, if you get a picture of the bird, if you're not sure, they're probably going to want to know what it is before they give you a true answer. Well, and then
0: we also have within AgriLife we have the Wildlife Services people that they can go to as well, and they have lots of information and can give um, information not only on what the birds are, but also about laws and regulations because that's kind of what they do.
1: Yeah, and for those wanting to get to that website, so just agrolife.org and then Texas Wildlife Services.
0: As far as controlling them, if you want to do this beforehand, which would be probably the better solution, you could work on exclusion techniques. So if you're talking about excluding a chimney area, you know, put a screen over that or screens vents in your attic or any openings that, you know, maybe a rodent or something had a rodent infestation and they chewed a hole and got into the attic. So, you know, screen that up with a hardware cloth or something. Um, There's also mesh or netting that you can do, but if you're having problems with rodents as well, then hardware cloth is going to be better because they can't actually chew through that and the birds can't get in. So it's a two for one there. As far as the bird feeders, you know, you're, if you stick out a bird feeder, you're going to get what you get coming to the bird feeder. <laughs> you really can't control what that is, but, um, you could try, I don't know, maybe if you like birds, try a hummingbird feeder. If you don't want house sparrows, and you can target only getting hummingbirds. Or... I did
1: read that if you pick mixes that have like the larger seeds, so things like sunflowers, um, that's going to attract more of the like native songbird uh, mm-hmm. or things like cardinals, blue jays, um, that like the bigger seed because the the sparrows are going to go after that. Like what Wizzy mentioned, the very small seed millet.
0: Yeah. Cause they're tiny and they've got mm-hmm. little tiny mouth parts. Yeah. I use safflower seed in mine because it doesn't, I found with sunflower seed, if you bought the shelled stuff, then the shells are everywhere and then it starts to get moldy and it's really disgusting, but the safflower seed, they eat everything. So I don't have to worry about it growing or getting gross or anything like that. So now I just got to worry about like squirrels and rats and things like that. <laughs> You know, you can also do, if you have areas where you don't want them roosting, you can either put, it's that like sticky glue substance that comes in like a tube of caulk, but it's glue. (laughs) So you essentially stick that out. And so when they would land on it, it gets sticky on their feet and they don't want to be on that surface. So that is going to be obviously needing to be replenished whenever it gets dirty and gross and it doesn't have stickiness anymore, I guess.
2: Yeah, probably not good in West Texas where they have dirt storms or whatever they call them.
0: There are also bird spikes that you can use, or some people call them porcupine wires. And those, it can work sometimes, but I've also seen birds sitting on those actual things before (laughs) where they're perching on them. So just be aware, none of these ideas are going to be 100%. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule. We have a lot of people that will do things like acoustical stuff to get rid of birds that are in a particular area. And that could be either playing just loud noises a lot of times people will try using like raptor birds that calls of those or distress calls of birds. And usually with that, the, the birds kind of get used to it and they just start to ignore it. The thing that if you do decide to do that, there are some places that may have sound ordinances that you have to follow. So you might want to check with where you live to see if you are allowed to do that. And then there's also the visual stuff that people will do. And I, I love these. You have the, the fake owls that usually have like a real bird sitting on its head, which is lovely. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people put uh, rubber snakes, like they'll get the rubber snakes from the store and they'll tie them and dangle them from a tree because that's how snakes usually are. You know, they're just hanging there. Um, or they'll do uh, I don't even know it's like those whirly, crinkly streamer looking things that are metallic. and they'll hang them from the tree. But again, with all of those, it's they get used to it and they it doesn't really do a whole lot.
1: Yeah, birds are a lot smarter than what people give them credit for, I think
0: they're adaptable.
1: yeah, and I, in many cases, they're gonna test whatever you put out they're going to test it. And if something bad doesn't happen, then you're right. Yeah. They get used to it. So like the, the owl trick, we had a issue with a woodpecker that was (laughs) destroying a side of a house. And so a friend of mine was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a fake owl, put it out there. The woodpecker just attacked the owl. It broke the head off the owl. (laughs) (laughs) So I wonder if they even at this point recognize it as like, oh, is that, A bird of prey, or is it just like a is it just a decoration they've put out that I can go attack, right?
0: It's just in my way.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: Uh there's also traps that you can do. One of them it's like that old cartoony trap that you like put the box with the little Mm -hmm. stick and you put some food in there and then you pull the string when they you know, I guess that could trap stuff, (laughs) but you would have to sit there forever and you know, I don't have that kind of time. There's also a funnel trap that you can either make or purchase that it works, but I I don't know. I mean, what do you what do you do with the birds afterwards? I
2: you got to take up somewhere to another place and let them go. They'll come right back. Probably is the funnel trap. Is it, do you put a funnel around their nest and they get funneled to, into their
0: nest and then they're stuck there? No, it's on the ground. And so you put seed in oh, there and they okay. go in and they can't get back out. So it's kind of like those fly traps that are like the cone I get it. thing and they get stuck down in there. Yes.
1: Yeah. So if you can imagine like a, imagine a cardboard box, I guess, with the left side of it open and you can keep going in, keep going in until about halfway. It just kind of tapers down. I'm trying to explain this and this might be a terrible way because I'm looking at a picture of it. Well, they
2: just go into the funnel, squeeze through, and then they probably don't like the way it feels Right. with that kind of um, broken mesh yeah, to go mm-hmm. back in. So it's like in just like the cone fly traps. Sure. Some of them could make their way back out, but they're just not smart enough to do it. Or they don't like to do it.
1: <laughs> they're smart, but they're not that smart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess the other the other way that you can get rid of nest destruction, which again, you know, I'm not saying go out and destroy bird nests and their eggs and birds and whatnot. It's one of those. If they are causing a problem and you need to do something, these are your options. So please don't email me saying, oh, my God, you're telling everybody to go out and destroy bird nests. I'm not. This is in the case where if they are causing some sort of an issue, then these are options for you. But if you can live and let live, then that's fine too. Yeah.
1: Other things uh, that you can do to you know discourage nest building to begin with: uh, routine pruning, disruption of the habitat. Essentially, if you're out and about and you're messing up the environment, and when I say messing up, just messing in the environment, they're going to not. Uh, have that preference to nest on your property.
2: They prefer more undisturbed things.
0: Spray them with the garden hose. (laughs) That always seems to work. So that's pretty much all I have on house sparrows because I am by no way, shape or form, a ornithologist, amateur
1: or otherwise.
2: If they are a huge, huge problem and you don't want to deal with it yourself, your pest management professionals usually, at least I would guess larger companies because they probably have a wide range of, of experts within that company. But amazingly, your pest management company, they're helping with pests and insects don't necessarily need to be the only pests that they're dealing with. So there are specialists that can assist with that as well.
0: That is all for unwanted guests for well today and evermore this is like i mentioned at the beginning our last episode so thank you for tuning in and make sure that you if you're only listening to this switch over to our bugs by the yard podcast because we will be continuing with that and we'll be covering well pretty much any insect or arthropod topic that we want to over there so if you have uh, something that you want us to cover then Give us a yell and let us know. Thanks for listening.